welcome to episode 133 of the Two Guys, a Glove, and a Coke Bottle podcast. He's Thomas Todd. He's Danny Sarchi. And we're Giants fans, and it is a good time to be a Giants fan. We waited, Danny. <laughs> we have waited for the promised land. Yeah, this whole offseason we said this is going to be a good team. This whole week, we, the whole first week, second week, third week, we said this is going to be a good team. They went through their trials and tribulations, and guess what? They're hitting their stride right now. They have tribulated. Uh, what does that even mean? What is a tribulation? What, uh, what do any of these words mean? I watched the Left Behind series growing up in a in a in a church. Uh, they that, sound that's awful. a very Modesto thing to do. Yeah, the tribulations sound pretty awful. They're worse <laughs> than trials. I mean, it's trials and tribulations. So yeah, trials, trials, like, and then tribulations. Yeah, if the trials are the easy part. Tribulations must be very difficult. <laughs> So it's been a couple of weeks since we podcasted, but we have excellent excuses for this. I Two weeks ago, I was out of town in New Orleans. Beautiful, beautiful, sunny, gorgeous, delicious New Orleans. Really? Last I don't week, about the rain there. It, you know, apparently it was storming like the week before we got there, but we went and it was beautiful. Uh, Thomas, last week, you were up in the Bay Area. You were watching some baseball. We were watching some basketball. You fell asleep. It was a great time all around, but we couldn't podcast. Yeah, no, it's nice to be back. It's really tough. The fans out there understand. They're all watching the Warriors as well. I just really, I got to get behind this season because this is the one that proves Golden State really is the creme de la creme of the NBA. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about tonight's game. um, And I imagine you're going to talk about it on Coach's Decision in in, uh, our national sports show. We're not going to talk about it here because... This is technically a Giants podcast, but it was a great game. The Warriors look great. Uh, what's your prediction for this series? I mean, I don't really have a prediction. I, my original prediction was Warriors in six, but watching the series in the first two games, the Thunder are relying way too much on Durant, um, and the Warriors can kind of play a way where Durant gets his, but they kind of force Russell Westbrook into bad shots. They force the ball into Serge Ibaka and Deion Waiters' hands, which is perfect if you're the Warriors because you're going to get much better possessions than the Thunder are if the Thunder are throwing the ball to Waiters and Ibaka and Steven Adams. So, you know, let Durant get his, but at the same time force bad shots by the other guys. And I think the Warriors are going to be fine. So what? So do you have a prediction? Warriors in six, seven. I, I five? still think it's. I still think it's in six. I said. I said maybe at the beginning of the series that maybe five. Okay. Maybe five, but after the the Thunder won the first game, it's probably going to go six. Yeah. So anyway, we all encourage you to. Uh, we all we all encourage you guys to watch that series. But we're going to talk about the Giants because they've been on their own little win streak here. Uh, they win two one over San Diego tonight. Their seventh win in a row. Hey, you know, the the Warriors won 73 games in a season, but the Giants have won seven straight. Yeah, which is more impressive? There's no answer. <laughs> <laughs> Baseball's hard, man. Baseball's very hard. I mean, especially when you when you think about how the best teams in the history of baseball, you know, try to win two-thirds of their games. The worst teams lose lose two-thirds of their games, but, you know... There's no such thing as a 73-game winner in baseball. I mean, that would be the equivalent of 144, 5, 6, something in that range, which is just bananas. It will never, I mean, ever happen. To really break down the difference, you have to think about 
roster construction. When you're playing in a basketball game, there's only five people on the floor. If you have the best player on the floor, if you have the best player in the world, you have one of five guys who's the best player in the world. You're able to sway a lot more of a game with that than you could in baseball when you're relying on a lineup of eight, a rotation of five, a bullpen of seven. You know, there's a lot more permutations. Yeah. There's a lot more things that could go wrong. There's a lot more uh, even talent in in sports like baseball and and football even. So plus you know, in bas- basketball, you can choose who takes the shots. You know, imagine if the Giants could set out a lineup of you know Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, Bumgarner, Cueto, Samarja, and then just right. kind of. <laughs> oh, it's time for that bat. Give it to Buster or give it to Belt. Oh, it's time to pitch. Give it to Bumgarner. You right. know? <laughs> well, it's mostly true. It's like if, if baseball had a five-person lineup where Buster Posey got to hit every fifth time or you know Mike Trout or Bryce Harper got to hit every fifth time. The team <laughs> would be much more dominant, at least offensively, um, if that was the case, rather than having a seven, eight, and even nine hitters in the AL. You know. Yeah. So so let's talk about what we've seen over this seven-game streak. I mean, one of the things, one of the problems we saw early in the season is that any win streak for the Giants, such as it was, kind of was fated to fail because eventually uh, Jake Peavy or Matt Cain had to pitch. Or both. Or both. <laughs> <laughs> they both usually pitched consecutively in a row. But uh, the Giants have seen this win streak coincide, you know, not coincidentally, but uh, you know, a leading to be in uh, ergo in. God, what's, get your what's, lawyer speak right, Danny. <laughs> Ipso facto lawyero. No, it's uh, it's the it's from West Wing. It's uh, uh, so hawk ergo propter hawk or something. There you like. go. Yeah, okay, that's the one. Um, ergo hawk prompter hawk. <laughs> Matt Cain has given up three earned runs in the last fifteen innings. Jake Peavy four earned runs in his last eleven. Where are you um, getting these stats from, Danny? Uh, you you wrote these out on a sheet, so thank oh, you very much. Did I? Uh, uh, Matt Cain, you know, one of the things we talked about, one of the things I wrote about on the site, because I wrote, you know, who, who knew? Um, Matt Cain has been having trouble uh, going deep in the games. You know, he looked good early, and then pitch count really threw off his effectiveness. So one of the most encouraging things is that he just looked good in the seventh and eighth, uh, and yeah, even yeah. and well after his, you know, 80th, 90th pitch. Just to get through 15 innings and two starts was an accomplishment for him because he hadn't done that. You know, he hadn't seen a lot of the seventh and eighth innings, and to be effective through those innings was fantastic. Look, we've seen the last two days Madison Bumgarner threw a complete game, one one run game. Johnny Cueto threw a complete game, one run game. Those are fantastic and impressive. Yeah. Those are the kind of starts. We, we don't expect them from those guys, but they're going to happen every five, six, seven, eight starts from a guy whose quality is at the level of Bumgarner and Cueto. But to see Matt Cain reach the eighth inning and finish it, that's incredible at this point in his recovery and where he is as a, as a pitcher right now. That is a fantastic accomplishment for him. This isn't some kind of, you know, Jeff Karstens has a miracle game in 2012 and pitches eight innings. This is vintage Matt Cain. Yeah. If it can stick around at all, if he can get into the seventh inning in any number of upcoming starts, that is a significant value for the Giants. Yeah, and one of the things that we've also, you know, seen coincide, I mean, uh, 
with these wins and with the better pitching is that the bullpen has been better. And, I, you know, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that as there's less demand on the on the bullpen to pitch, you know, five, four innings per game, et cetera, or more, uh, they they are better as well. So, you know, as... As you see our guys pitching, as you see the starters pitching in the 6th, 7th, 8th reliably, you know, everyone else is going to do better, too. Well, look, I mean, the consistency has come from Bumgarner, Cueto, and Samarja. And we talked about earlier on the show, in previous episodes, there was a huge drop-off to Kane and Peavy early in the season. Peavy's ERA was up over 9. Kane looked like garbage after the fourth inning every start. Just to have some competency and to watch that turn into a win streak is very encouraging, especially when you look at the offense right now, which is not clicking on all cylinders. You know, it's not something where Brandon Crawford's hitting out of his element. It's not something where Buster Posey... Buster Posey's hitting 274. That's not where he ends this season. Buster Posey ends this season 295-plus, probably, you know, closer to 315. Uh, You know, Matt Duffy's still hitting poorly. This is not a lineup that has clicked fully yet, and to have this seven-game win streak based on the pitching is very encouraging because that offense is coming around. Yeah. And when it comes around, that's going to lead to a, a not necessarily a winning streak, but a winning way. And if you look at the upcoming schedule, this is the time for the offense to get right because they're about to play a pretty poor schedule. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think one of the really interesting things about this win streak and uh, you know, one of the things that really to me shows you that the team is clicking is that there has been kind of a different hero every night you know uh tonight it was Cueto and it was Hunter Pence Hunter Pence meanwhile you know is kind of having a low-key really excellent season oh he's been phenomenal he's hitting around 300 he has what eight home runs uh, I think he has his seventh tonight his seventh I'm sorry he's been great yeah, it's been great. Don't he, ever doubt that man. Oh, and he came into the season. Uh, he came into tonight rather, um, batting or with a three ninety one on base. And one of the things that we've talked about on this show before is that Hunter Pence is taking significantly fewer swings out of the strike zone, and just all around his approach to the plate has been better. And that has paid amazing dividends when it comes to his on base, but also uh, kind of. The rising tide has improved his batting average. He's just making fewer outs, and that's really good. And Look, as a result, everything else is, is good, and he's the middle-of-the-order bat that we that we really wanted. Look, here's the thing. Brandon Belt is coming into his own as a hitter. He's becoming the guy that he's going to be for the next couple of years. He's going to be a, a, a hitter with a little bit of power, a good average, and a great on base. Hunter Pence has been that almost his whole career. You know, and he's adding something to his game in the late stages, which is, like you said, not chasing pitches, drawing more walks, having a high batting average with some power. Brandon Belt and Hunter Pence can be the middle of your lineup if you have a good team. Now you have the Giants and you get to throw in Joe Panic, Matt Duffy, and Buster Posey. You get to throw in having two guys who can hit leadoff and Pagan and Span. This is a really talented club. That, like I said, still hasn't even lived up to its own potential. Yeah, I mean, it, just like what you were saying, Hunter Pence is 32. You know, it's not often you see somebody at that, or 33, rather. It's not somebody often you see somebody at that stage of his career kind of learn a new skill. But he is, and it's great. 
and it's working really well. Can but, we talk individually about that Diamondback series? Because I think that series is really important. Well, sure, but I want to talk about just while you were talking about Brandon Belt, one of the things that happened today is his streak of 24 games in a row getting on base through a hit or a walk ended. Who cares? Um, well, no, I mean, but let's just look back during that streak. So the last 24 games, uh, Brandon Belt batted 352 with a 505 on base and a 549 slugging. I mean, he hit one home run because he's, you know, it, power is just kind of an afterthought for Brandon Belt. Everything else he brings to the table is what you're there for. But 505 on base, I mean, that's Bonzian. Yeah, I mean, everyone could look Bonzian over a 24-game span. What's the what's the baseball metric? Over 60 at-bats. Everyone can look like Willie Mays, Barry Bonds, or Mickey Mantle. 97 plate appearances, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just saying. You know, yeah. he he's not <laughs> he's not Joe DiMaggio in his prime, but he's a pretty good hitter with a good batting eye who has really been working the corners of the strike zone better in this season than he has in previous years. He got a little fine with his strike zone. He gets he has some issues with umpires where. I think that he gets a bad reputation for taking too many pitches. Umpires don't want to see you go up there and just take, take, take and try to wait for a perfect pitch. You know, they're trying to call a game and they're going to give a couple inches to the pitchers here and there. They don't want guys to just go up there and watch on the outside, watch on the inside and try to draw walks. That's just not what they're about. Okay, but also fuck umpires. No, I understand that. I'm just saying you have to work within the system you're given. Yeah. And what was happening is he became this slumpy-shouldered ne'er-do-well who thought he knew the strike zone better than the umpires. And what's the one thing you don't like at your job? When someone thinks they know how to do your job better than you do. Oh, everyone at my job knows how to do my job better than I do. Right, because you're the new guy. <laughs> okay, well, let's just take this break to talk about SeatGeek, our sponsor for this podcast. Thank you, SeatGeek, for sponsoring this podcast. SeatGeek is our favorite app to buy tickets for uh, for uh, music events, for sporting events. Uh, and what SeatGeek does that's really great is they take all the tickets from around the web, they put it in one place, you can save time, never miss a deal, uh, you can set alerts, you can say, uh, you know, tell me when a Warriors game drops below $1,500, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do you one better, Danny. Yeah. I went to the Giants game last week. I saw them play in the 13-inning game. It was great. 13-inning win. It was it was a win, a walk-off win, a shrimp, as they call it in well, the industry. Every game I've been to this year so far has been uh, has been a blown save, extra inning loss. So I'm glad that yours turned out a little better than mine. So we got our tickets from SeatGeek, and we got some undervalued tickets against the Blue Jays. It was a big green dot. It was in the lower deck, about you know 35 so rows up. It was actually pretty fortuitous because it was in the shade underneath the second deck, so there was no sun during the day game. We got to watch everything go down through nine innings. People started to leave because the crowd boo. got kind of bored. Boo, boo, boo. But SeatGeek had no impact on this, but we got to move down row after row after row as people left. Just being in that lower deck at such a nice price was so wonderful because as the game wore on, we got to move closer and closer to the field before we had, we knew it. We had you know, twice the value of our ticket uh, based on the seats we were sitting in because nobody was there. It was fantastic. Yeah, so what, what you alluded to quickly is one of the things SeatGeek does that's great is they tell you this is a good deal, this is a bad deal. You know, If you're looking at lower box seats, 
that it's going to be more expensive, obviously, but you can see that this this seat is worth a lot more than I'm paying. So look for the big green dot. That's something SeatGeek has that nobody else does. Danny, I have three SeatGeek purchases upcoming. I'm going to see Modern Baseball in June. I'm going to go see The Story So Far in State Champs in August. I'm going to go see Frank Turner in August. All of these I'm going to do through SeatGeek because I want to make sure I get the right price, the price I want to pay, and the convenience of going on their site and seeing that final price before I click. And uh, because you're a listener to the show, Thomas, do you ever listen to this show? I don't, actually, because I hate myself. <laughs> uh, we, uh, our, my listeners, uh, you don't need to worry about your listeners, but my listeners can type in SFG20, get, 20, get $20 off their tickets, uh, uh, you know, I'm looking right now, Thomas. We could go to the Padres Giants series um, next week. next week for three dollars. You can get a three dollar ticket. I, I don't believe that. It, it, it's true. It's true. It's a green dot. Just in case you weren't sure. If the dot got any bigger, they'd be paying us to go to the game. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, check like out like you Seek said, Geek. Danny. SFG20 is the promo code. Twenty dollar rebate after your first purchase. Pretty much pays for itself after the first one. And then you just, beyond that, get the value of SeatGeek. Download it on your phone. I've got it here. I'm looking at it right now. Awesome. So thank you to SeatGeek. Uh, Thomas. Yes. Let's look ahead at the uh, upcoming series, which we alluded to, which uh, we think is going to be a pretty good series for the Giants. Stop alluding, Danny. Allude, allude, allude. So coming up, we've got the Cubs, and that's going to be tough. But you after that, what? It's after just three that, games. It's just three games. So what? Sure. We lose all three. And hey, the, the Padres swept the Cubs in a two-game doubleheader. I guess all doubleheaders are two games. But <laughs> if they can do it and we beat them, then we can beat the Cubs. Ipso facto. Ergo, Hector, Prompter, Hawk. But after that, we have three games in San Francisco against the Padres, which we were just talking about, $3 tickets. Uh, and then we're going to Colorado, which, you know, never goes well. But then we face the Braves. You know oh, who's really bad Braves. this year? The Braves. They're the they're the 76ers of MLB. They have nobody. They don't even have a coach. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so Braves fired Freddie Gun- Gonzalez. This- Are you buying into this no Hispanic manager thing? Buying into it how? I mean, I mean it's, it's been true. a talking point on the, you know, those shows. We'll just say those shows, whatever they may be on TV and on radio. I mean, I'm buying in, into it to the extent that MLB instituted the C-League rule in order to try to bring more um, minority uh, management into the league. So what it, what it means basically is that before a team hires their new manager, they ha- I think they have to consider or have to interview certain uh, people of color. Uh, for the position, well, that's had, a that's a variation of the Rooney Rule from football. That's well, it's been you know routinely ignored in baseball. You know, we have yeah. a lot of situations where, like, the Brewers hired Craig Council, and everyone kind of knew that they would. But uh, you know, the Brewers were C League's team, and they're not even following the, the C League rule. That's pretty shameful. So, um, you know, am I buying into it? I, it's true. Uh, what what did you mean by that, though? I just, I mean, it's tough because there have been Hispanic managers in Major League Baseball, and I think that more of them should, like you said, under the C-League rule, get opportunities to interview. But it's like, do I really want someone to retread Ozzie Guillen just because he happens to be Hispanic? 
because he's not a very good manager, as we've learned. He's not a very good personality to have as your coach. Well, you know, no, I mean, Ozzy Guillen is is one one person. There are other managers. No, out I know, there. but Freddie Gonzalez is one of the most made fun of and ridiculed managers by the sabermetric community, by the baseball writing community, by the community. Let's say, yeah. He did not make good decisions. So no, don't, but don't don't make his firing a referendum on there being a lack of Hispanic uh, major league baseball managers or candidates because that has nothing to do with it. Right, and there's a reason why the Seelig rule doesn't mandate the hiring of certain people. It just, you know, forces teams to consider somebody that they might not otherwise. And you kind of saw that with the Dodgers this year, where. Going into the offseason with Don Mattingly, you know, let go, um, it seemed like it was pretty much decided league-wide that Gabe Kaplan would be the, the heir apparent. And, uh, you know, he's in charge of some of their minor leagues, I think. Um, you know, white guy. I think Jewish, even. Um, and they interviewed Dave Roberts, and they hired him. You know, and that's not to say that uh, Dave Roberts or Gabe Kaplan... You know, I have no idea who would have been a better manager, but it's good that they are at least giving they're, – they're at least being forced to consider something that they wouldn't otherwise because maybe they're going to go into that interview and hear something they like and weren't expecting to like. Because there are a lot of really, you know, low-key uh, subconscious racist people out there, as we've talked about several Absolutely, times. Absolutely, especially in baseball. Especially in baseball. So the more you can do to expose – force people into a room you know uh, the the better so i think it's actually is i think it's gonna be another five or ten years before we get i think an actual flood of hispanic baseball managers are coming because you know it kind of took until the 60s or 70s to kind of get hispanic baseball players involved and to get that full force of cuban dominican and and Puerto Rican players and Mexican players involved. So you think, like in the thirty years after those guys, were yeah, no, in the I, league? I mean, like, and they kind of they kind of started to peak in the eighties and nineties, but really the two thousands have been where Hispanic baseball players have been, you know, thirty percent, thirty five percent, even higher than that of Major League Baseball, and I think that's going to start to turn over pretty soon as you have guys like. Can you picture Yadier Molina in 15 years being a Major League Baseball manager? 100%. Even, even 10 years. Well, you know? I was actually just thinking this, that you know, you look around and a lot of managers, Bruce Bochy included, uh, were catchers. So mm-hmm. I wonder if there was some sort of, I don't know, societal thing where Latin players growing up maybe weren't catchers as often, you know, aside from the Molina family, obviously. I, I wouldn't say that. I would say also that Look at other sports. You look at football. You look at, at basketball. Those guys aren't old. In baseball, you have some old managers. Like You've got guys like Bobby Cox who managed Jim in the 70s. You have Jim Leland into their 70s. These are old-school baseball guys. Eventually, there are going to be no old-school baseball guys. You'll have your Don Mattingly's. You'll have your... You know, eventually a super white guy like Brad Ausmus be a manager. Or, What's the uh, Orioles guy's name? Um, oh God, I I can picture him. He's like so the well. oldest, whitest of them all. 
No, I know. Uh, we can picture them all so well because they're all old and white and fluffy. But eventually, you know, baseball is going to be infused with young blood because it's going to be sabermetric based. It's going to be how well can you run a clubhouse? And yeah. It's not going to be as old school. And you're going to have guys like Yadi or Molina running a clubhouse. Probably be- Jose Molina. Probably, you know, I don't know if Benji would, but. Right. But I'm just saying it's <laughs> yeah. going to happen in the next 10 years. There's going to be a wave of these retired MLB players getting positions. You know, Alex Cora could probably get a job in the next five years. He's a pretty good analyst. Why couldn't he run a baseball team? Like, I don't understand. Sure. I think this is going to happen. And I think the C-League rule is the reason this stuff is going to happen because these guys are going to get interviews. And that's why the rule is good. But I also feel like we shouldn't freak out because Freddie Gonzalez got fired because he was not a very good manager. Yeah, I mean, Freddie Gonzalez's firing just kind of forced everybody to check in on the numbers, which are pretty pretty dismal. But that so, wasn't the time to check in. The time yeah. to check in was before that. Um, I agree. So okay. let's talk more about baseball. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, Danny. No, no, no. Uh, no, that was interesting. Um, you wanted to pitches. talk about. Can we talk about three O pitches. Well, you wanted to talk about the Diamondback series. Oh, sorry, I brought that up like twenty five minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so the Diamondbacks swept the Giants in a four game series in San Francisco earlier this season. The Giants go into Arizona and sweep the Diamondbacks in a four game series. Uh, what what stuck out to you? Well, there's one thing about running into a hitter when he's in a cold snap, you know. Guys who've been pitching to Buster Posey lately have been very successful. He's been hitting to a lot of double plays, a lot of fly ball outs. Cool. The Giants went into Arizona for four games. Paul Goldschmidt goes one for 14 with two walks and an RBI. And I want to say, of course, every hitter goes through this. Paul Goldschmidt is a perennial all-star and MVP candidate. But wow, was it nice to see him struggle against Giants pitching. We have seen him... Well, so Lincecum's not on the team anymore. I know Lincecum's gone, and that's that's an old joke, but he hit lots of Giants pitchers well. He hits everybody well. He's a fantastic hitter. So to go in in four games and have him not hurt you, that lineup is pretty impotent without Goldschmidt producing. Yeah, I mean, they obviously lost A.J. Pollock, which is hard. Um, but And they already had a kind of sufferable 6-7-8. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, their starting center fielder is Chris Herman, who's their backup catcher. You know, it's like... Is he really? Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Oh, it's one of the... One of the... Uh, an interesting stat, like the first time somebody started at catcher and center field in the in the same season for, you know, 20 years or something like that. That sounds like something should happen in softball, like <laughs> high school softball. Yeah. So, <laughs> or softball. Well, what's really interesting is that going into that series, um, they... The Giants were 500. Absolutely. Um, and when it they was won, a hard 500. Yeah, when they won um, their win on May 12th, which was last Thursday, brought them to 19 and 18. Today, they're 24 and 18. So do you think that was kind of the start of something? Because you look at, you look at that series, and the Giants scored four, three, five, and two runs. And they won every game. And that was kind of when, you know, when, I mean, that was exactly when the Giants pitching completely clicked. You know, uh, Johnny Cueto threw seven strong innings. Um, Samarja went eight. Uh, 
you know, what we were talking about, PB went six, gave up one run, which for him is a complete game shutout. Yeah, that's a no-hitter in my <laughs> opinion. Uh, Kane went seven, gave up one run. Um, it was it was just excellent. Yeah, and like I said earlier in the show. And a, and a four-game sweep where Bumgarner doesn't pitch. I just imagine that. Yeah, we, we couldn't. There's no way we could imagine that. You know, I don't think the Diamondbacks are, are hot. I don't think the Diamondbacks are great. They're a pretty good team, and they came in and swept us in four games in AT&T. We returned the favor back down in their ballpark, so it felt pretty good. You know, four wins against four losses is even up, but it feels good that it happened after. Like, sequencing is important in the mind of the fans. Maybe not in the minds of the team, maybe not in the minds of, of the schedule or the record, but to have them come in and beat us four games and to return the favor, it feels really good. Like It I feel feels like we, really good. I feel like we have the Diamondbacks number now. I feel like Shelby Miller pitched a great game and lost. I feel like Zach Greinke pitched poorly and lost. That's good. Yeah. You know, the worse Zach Greinke pitches uh, over the next couple of years, the better that contract looks, the better it looks that we didn't sign him, that we signed Cueto and Samarja for what he signed for combined. Yeah. You know, the better that looks. So, you know, overall, happy with that series. Happy to see Goldschmidt go one for 14. Happy to see wins without the offense clicking, like we said before. So right now it's a good time to be a Giants fan, and I'm not that scared of the Dodgers. I'm not that scared of the Rockies. This season can go into coast mode in the next couple weeks. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I know you're not scoreboard watching, but... I am scoreboard watching. But since May 12th, which was the day that the Giants went to to Arizona, the Giants, uh, the Dodgers went three and four. Danny, it's my job to scoreboard watch now. I can't help it. (laughs) Yeah, so you know, let's talk about last ten games. You know, the little thing that you see on the standings: the Dodgers are five and five, the Giants are seven and three. I mean, the Giants are in first place by two and a half games. Like, that's that's obviously not an insurmountable lead, but it's more than they've been for a long time. I've got some trivia for you, Danny. Yeah, bring it on. What Major League Baseball shortstop has the most home runs? Uh, Trevor Story. That's correct. Who is number two? Um, do you consider Manny Machado a, a, a shortstop? I do not. I consider him a third baseman. Okay. This isn't fantasy baseball then? This is not fantasy baseball. <laughs> this is um, not even a fantasy podcast. You are not having fun. I feel like the answer is probably going to be Brandon Crawford because you're leading up to some point. Marcus Simeon! Simeon. What, what did I Isn't say? it? I think he said Simeon. I don't know. It doesn't. I. <laughs> I've been following the A's because I have to cover them for for the radio in the morning. Oh yeah, he had a crazy first month, 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 month. And has he been good since then? He's been great since then. He has ten home runs. He's hitting two twenty. <laughs> yeah. But from the shortstop position, that's excellent. He's How many errors has he made? Uh, four, I believe. <laughs> Because he he probably he's probably up to like twenty five by this point last year. He had thirty four last season, I believe. So he's on pace to be lower than that. That's good. But I mean, to hit two twenty with potential for to hit twenty five home runs in that ballpark, like that's super valuable. Like that guy's looking like he could be, even if he's a low level star, 
that's fantastic for them to have someone at the shortstop position. They haven't had that great of a shortstop since what? Bobby Crosby's Bobby Crosby. God, I remember him. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know him. Like, I knew that guy. And that guy flamed out based on injury alone. Like, he had the talent. So to watch someone like, like Simeon, Simeon, whatever you want to call him, man, he's having a great season. And well, if he can keep those errors down and his power up, like, that's a valuable guy. Plus, the, the better he plays, the worse the Giants look, or the worse the A's look for basically swapping Addison, uh, Russell. Addison Russell for, you know, three months of Jeff Samarja and Marcus Simeon. Yeah. Well, because they got Simeon when they traded Samarja back to the White Sox. Yeah, also Crush Davis, part two. Crush yeah. Davis had three home runs the other day. Including a walk-off grand slam. Oh, Danny. <laughs> oh, Danny. What a game. I mean, to watch the Giants win 5-1 to one over the Padres was pretty cool. Just to watch a complete domination by Mad Bum over the Padres. But to see the A's give up the lead in the ninth and to come back and have Chris Davis just go yuck-a-do for the third straight time <laughs> in a game, that's Reggie Jackson-like. Yeah, it's like Pablo Sandoval-esque. Yeah, it, it it looks good, man. And I know he's another guy who hits 220 with power, but those guys are fun. Yeah. These are fun. Thomas, we actually have fans who are going to be angry that we talked about the A's. Good. They're fun. <laughs> uh, Rich Hill has a 2.5-something ERA. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! Sonny Gray stinks. So let's talk about our own our own uh, shortstop who's breaking out. Now, you, you wrote some notes here. I called this, by the way. You called Brandon Crawford playing well? Our last episode, I go, hey, every Giants hitter has had his day. Brandon Crawford has yet to break out. Brandon Crawford was my breakout candidate three weeks ago. And I want to point this out because he had four RBIs through the first 22 Giants games. Four RBIs through 20 wow. games, hitting seventh in an order that was stacked with good hitters. He was coming up with guys on base and failing. He is up to 21 RBIs, which over the same amount of games approximately that he had four RBIs, he had now has 17. He's phenomenal. I he, love Brandon Crawford. He's very, very good. He's, he's hitting, up to five homers. He's hitting 250 with five home runs, great defense, you know, doubles power. He he's the man. Like his average still isn't anything to really look at. Like oh, he's a triple crown guy. No, he's not going to be that. But he's going to have power. He's going to play great defense. He's going to drive in some runs. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, I want to find a good arbitrary endpoint to talk about here. <laughs> we'll talk about. Th- <laughs> can we talk about three O pitches? I want to talk about this. Well, I just want to say in the month of May, Brandon Crawford is batting two seventy six with a. A lofty 306 on base. You know, it's okay. He's not here for his uh, plate discipline. And a 500 slugging. He had five. Uh, he had three homers and four doubles in that time. Look, it's like we talked about with, with the A shortstop. If you can get a semblance of power with good defense from your shortstop, you're doing pretty well. Plus, you know, when you're a- batting ahead of the pitcher, you don't really want to walk. Right. Well, it's, I, I, we've never been worried about his OBP. Like we said, Brandon Belt, we can talk about his OBP. Buster Posey, we can talk about his OBP. I just Not mean that his on base percentage. I just mean that his position in the batting order is probably encouraged. It has probably encouraged him to swing more uh, at three zero pitches. Uh, no, I mean to swing to that. Basically, the, the the value of a walk in front of a pitcher is less valuable. 
then uh, you know the 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 chance to get an extra base hit and knock in the guys who are on base. Right. You know, I don't. We don't really talk about batting order that much, but I do think that that is a thing that he's facing this year. Um, and I'm trying to find his swing percentages, which you know were so interesting when we talked about them in in the context of Hunter Pence. So I'm just kind of uh, you know stalling for time right here. We go. Time. Yeah, there Got it. Uh, so Brandon Crawford's O swing, that's his percent of swings at pitches outside of the strike zone, is 34.5 percent this year. Is 35.1 last year, so that's no change. Consistent. But his his Z swing, which is the swing percentage inside the strike zone, is 76 percent. Last year it was 72, and his career is 67.6%. So he's actually hammering pitches in the zone now. Yeah, so he's swinging significantly more. Well, okay, so looking at everything, he's swinging at the same number of pitches outside of the strike zone, but he's making way more contact. He's also swinging way more pitches in the strike zone. Uh, And as a result, he's swinging you know, more overall. So he's just playing well. You know, what's really great, Danny. I'm going to, as we wrap this podcast up, I think it's about time. We went a whole podcast without talking about the bullpen. Isn't that great? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that what you want from your major league baseball contender? The bullpen should be seen and not heard. Exactly. Isn't that what you (laughs) want from your contending team? Yeah. To have a whole podcast where you're like, oh, like our our starters through two consecutive complete games. Uh, Buster Posey had a hit the other day. Brandon Crawford went yard. Joe Panic went yard. That all sounds fantastic. No one mentioned the bullpen. That's awesome. And that was without George Contos. And now Contos is back. Romo's still on the mend. You know, the young guys are pitching okay. Casilla's pitching great despite a few issues. Hey, do you want to talk about his comments? Because... We, 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 we have a little time here. It. Yeah, we kind of missed it. We kind of missed him walking off the mound and kind of coming back and confronting Bochi. Here's the thing. He he got fiery, and that's great. Bochi is not fiery. <laughs> the Bochi pulled him aside later and said, hey, man, shut it down. I'm the manager. You're the closer. I make the decisions around here. We I'm won championships together. No, yeah, I'm the, we made, we, they won championships together, several of them, with Casilla as a late-inning reliever or, or closer. Casilla does trust Boji. He just had a moment where he got kind of pissed off, and he was without himself, and, you know, he apologized. Yeah. You know, uh, but nobody wanted him to face uh, Lamb of the Diamondbacks. Nobody. Not Bochi, not Rigetti, not Giants fans, not every member of the Giants except Santiago Casilla. <laughs> and I wanted Santiago Casilla to want to face Lamb. Unfortunately, I didn't want him to face Lamb. Yeah. So he didn't. And that's a good call by Bochi, and that's his right as a manager. And they won the game. Yeah, I mean, we, we've always talked about this, that uh, managers have to be the adults, you know, because a baseball player at, at his core and... I don't even want to say that it's all that deep. Sometimes that is surface too. It's a little boy who's playing a game, and you know, often think, uh, they often think that they're invincible. They often don't want to appear weak, and you know, ever ask to come out of a game. And there's a reason why uh, 
when a pitcher is up to 120 pitches and has a no hitter going, but you know, is gonna say I want to pitch 160 in 160 pitches to close this out, you need the adults to stand there and say, no, we're not doing this. In this situation, Casilla didn't have it. Everybody knew that. Just what you were saying, and. Like you know, I agree. I completely agree that this was a good event on all sides. Casilla, Casilla should want the ball, and Bosi should not care what Casilla thinks. Casilla pitching to Lamb would have been ice cream for breakfast. It's letting the inmates run the insane asylum. You know, it's just not what needs to happen. Ice cream for breakfast sounds pretty good, though. You know, you and I can do that, Danny, because we're adults. But like you said, Bruce Bochy is the adult in this situation. Yeah. So he decides when you have ice cream for breakfast. I, I'm desperately trying to figure out how I can look at bullpen stats over the last, uh, you know, seven days or 14 days. The answer is it's better than it's been. You know, you know it's better because the one thing you can do with the bullpen is be oh, here. Anec- we go. I found can, it. The one thing you can do is be anecdotal. Because you remember the bullpen flare-ups. Like, <laughs> you forgive the starting pitchers because they're such a part of your life. Like, Madison Bumgarner is such a part of our life. Yeah. You know, Matt Cain's been such a part of our life for the last 10 years that you think about him a lot. And when you watch baseball, you see him a lot. But the bullpen is kind of this aqueous thing where there's a bunch of different guys who rotate Especially in and out. Especially this year. Yeah, and you know when it's bad. You see it, and you get mad at it. So when you stop noticing the bullpen, that's when you know it's been good. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I have... uh, This is funny. I'm looking at bullpen stats over the last 14 days. Um, I'm going to read you some ERAs, and I want you to guess... Well, there's one of them that I want... I'm going to read them, and then let's talk about it. Okay. So uh, this is in reverse order of... No, this is in order of innings pitched. This is not just bullpen. Okay. Or, okay. No, I'm going to scrap this. This has been stupid. I'm only going to read bullpen stats in order of innings pitched. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Derek Law, 386 ERA. Hunter Strickland, 135 ERA. Corey Guerin, not Cody, Corey, uh, 426 ERA. Santiago Casilla, 1.8 ERA. Uh, Alberto Suarez, Josh Osich, and Javier Lopez with a zero ERA, and Vin Mazzaro, 162. Get rid of that guy. (laughs) Oh, they did. Good. God. Good, good, good. Remember we talked about how Vin Mazzaro's, like, defining moment in his career was when he gave up 14 runs and two-thirds of an inning, like, a few years ago? And he came in and basically did exactly the same thing. What do you mean by defining moment? You mean by the thing everyone remembers him by? Or the thing that he thinks about yes. and he reflects on his life. Both. <laughs> I hope that's not the thing he thinks about. I hope it's some like college thing where he like was like four innings into a no hitter, then like gave up a hit and that was it. I hope that's like the defining moment of his life. The fun part is that Vin Mazzaro's made a lot more money than either of us ever will. So Danny, you're on the way. You're a, <laughs> you're a professional. I'm far away, but uh oh, thank you. Come on. So this has been these have been really good bullpen stats, and you know, not just Core Garen. I mean, he's actually been one of the worst, despite being one of the most reliable early on. So that's kind of it's kind of nice, you know, when uh, they weren't relying on the one guy in the bullpen who's been good, 
overall, they've all been really good. And when you look at it for the last seven days, really the only one who has who's done poorly is Derek Law. He had one bad outing, gave up one run in two-thirds of an inning. Uh, Hunter Strickland gave up one run in two innings. Other than that, 0, 0, 0, 1, 1. 1.3, uh, you know, 2.57, stuff like that. Danny, so, you broke the rule. Uh, talking about bullpen ERAs? Yeah, I said, well, first of all, never talk about bullpen ERA. Second of all, talking about the bullpen means the bullpen is bad. <laughs> we don't have to talk about the bullpen because the bullpen is good. Ah, uh, yes. We're, we're free. We're you know free. what, actually, do you, you've seen Wolf of Wall Street, right? I have. The scene with Matthew McConaughey explaining Wall Street to Jordan Belfort. Yes. That's pretty much what bullpens are like. He says, like, no one knows whether the stock market's going to go up or down or sideways or this way, especially stockbrokers. And I feel like that has to do with, with, with baseball managers. No one knows if the bullpen's going to be good or bad or sideways or this way, especially baseball managers. It's a fugazi. It's a fugazi. Yeah. It does not exist. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the tricky things about relievers is when you see somebody, you know, you think of Jeremy Affelt as being one of the most reliable relievers in a while, and he had terrible seasons. Yeah. It happens, man. The the bullpen, it like I said, it's a fugazi. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, that's been nice. Uh, one tiny little piece of news. Contos is back. Clayton Blackburn sent back down. Did he even pitch? I don't think he did. Yeah. At least Clayton, not in front of mine own eyes. I mean, I thought that for sure Blackburn would take a spot in the rotation this season because, it, you know, Jake Peavy did not look good. That it's, could still easily happen. It's early, Danny. I was going to say. Uh, it seems Peavy a little less urgent than it did uh, a week ago. Yeah. Well, let's get out of here. We're approaching the hour mark. Let's get the heck out of here. Yeah. Uh, so anyway... Thank you, SeatGeek. Check out the SeatGeek app. Check it out on the web. Look for those green dots. Type in SFG20. Get $20 off of what is already a great deal. So it's even better. And hey, tweet us. Let us know what you went to, what you like, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll like it. You'll get a little star by your name. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at GiantsPod. You can find Thomas on Twitter at GiantsTodd. Oh, oh, I have a fun story for you, Thomas. Go for it. So you and I went to a reunion this weekend mm-hmm. for our college newspaper, of which yep. uh, we both loved and were involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, the one guy, uh, well, the, the guy who we were hanging out with, who's probably the most successful of all of them, works for a very popular internet website, um, wants to do a story about this show, specifically the romance that has come out of it. Uh, is it Ian? Uh, no, it's Sam. Oh, Sam, okay. <laughs> so, uh... Wait, our romance? You're talking about our romance? <laughs> We're talking about somebody listening to this show and finding my voice sexy and uh, not yours. Oh, God, there's no accounting for taste. <laughs> my so, name is Thomas Todd. I love the Giants. <laughs> so, so that'll be fun. We'll keep an eye out for that. I just wanted to, to, to make sure you knew that... Uh, the greater Mashable audience would be reading about this sometime soon. Oh, so gross. Yes. Anyway, thank you to Twitter for hosting our Twitter Twitter accounts. Thank you Twitter to Twitter accounts. Twitter accounts. Thank you to Sam Laird for the story that may one day come out. Uh, Giants Pod, Giants Todd. Check us out on Coach's Decision. It's also been a couple of weeks there, but we're coming back. 
with a next, vengeance. Yeah. Next week, we will, I'm sure, be talking about the NBA playoffs and maybe a little baseball, too, if I can convince Thomas. And, hey, maybe even the NHL playoffs, which are apparently happening. Still. Still. So thank you for listening. Uh, check us out iTunes. Leave us a comment. Leave us a rating. Thank you, and go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.